0: We are in Acts chapter 8, verses 26 through 40 this morning. So if you, have, if you have a Bible, turn with me, please. If you don't have a Bible, we do have some in the back by the sound booth. And uh, if you don't, like, physically own a Bible, please keep the one you grab. That's our gift to you. Uh, before I get into things, let's, uh, let's just pray together real quick again uh, and give this time over over to the Lord. Father, we pray that First, thank you for giving me this opportunity to, uh, to deliver your word, and uh, I pray that this morning as, as I speak, uh, the words that um, resound would not be a message of my own, but would be yours, that hearts would be changed, and that we would be moved towards Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, this morning, and that uh, you would receive all the glory, and that we would receive much joy from it. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. All right. All right. So we're going to be looking at Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, um, which is a fun one. <laughs> Not nearly as fun as having to do a message on heaven and hell, but, no, I'm just kidding. That was a daunting one, though. Um, so we'll be looking at Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, but before I really get into that, I wanna, what I want to do is, is look at why this story is so important um, to, to the greater narrative of the book of Acts, but also why it's significant Uh, in the church today. Uh, And as we look at this account, what what I'm going to want us to really see is that God in His sovereignty is at work appointing opportunities for the gospel to go forth, uh, and and Christians need to be ready to seize those opportunities. Um, That's what I really want us to see this morning. But first, like I said, let's set the scene. Let's establish why this particular point in the book of Acts is truly significant. So if we remember, back in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, um, Jesus says, um, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. That's the mission. That's the task at hand. That's the, the Spirit-empowered mission, as the series is called. All the way from Acts chapter... Through Acts chapter 8 We see the, the, the gospel going forth In Jerusalem That's kind of phase 1 And there's great, uh, it's fruitful There's great blessing uh, Thousands of people come into faith In Jesus Christ in Jerusalem And with that blessing also came persecution Peter and John Being arrested twice Flogged but still rejoicing That they were worthy to suffer For the name of Christ we see Stephen, a man of great faith, get stoned to death. And as we get into Acts chapter 8, verse 1, it says, And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. So in the midst of this persecution, we see this church scatter out. And we, we see phase two of this mission come into play. First we had Jerusalem. Then the church scatters to Judea and Samaria. And in Samaria is where we, we pick up with Philip again. Philip is up there, he's preaching the gospel. He's in this region um, that really hates uh, Jewish people, um, the Samaritans, where as we studied, there were more half breeds and there was a dislike on both sides. And Peter's up there, or Philip's up there, preaching the gospel, a fruitful ministry, people coming to faith, getting baptized including our buddy Simon the Magician. Um, but when Peter and John come and they lay hands and the Holy Spirit is, is received by the people up there, Simon tries to buy it with money. He tries to buy it with money and Peter like rips into him. Remember, he, he essentially said in, in so many words, he basically said, to hell with your money. You think you can buy the gift of God with money. Your heart is not right before God. You need to repent and pray for forgiveness. And then Simon asked Peter to pray for him, and that's kind of where, where it leaves it. And after that, Peter and John head back to Jerusalem, still preaching the gospel in Samaria, in the many villages. So up to where we are now, we have Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. And this morning, I believe, is the beginning of that next phase, that, that bringing the gospel to the ends of the earth, as Philip has this divinely appointed encounter with the Ethiopian eunuch. So we'll look at today's text under these headings. Possibly. The commissioning of Philip, the conversation with the eunuch, the conversion of the eunuch, and the continued mission. So let's get right into it. The first thing, the commissioning of Philip. Starting in verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. I'll stop right there. It sounds very similar to a text we didn't study too long ago, about maybe a year and a half or a little more now. Uh, Genesis chapter 12, where, where the Lord says that to Abram, Tells him to go, and to, to leave the land he was in, and go. And Abraham, Abram becomes then renamed Abraham. Leaves comfort the comforts of his own land and goes as the Lord prepares. It's very similar. Angel of Lord comes to Philip and he says, "Rise and go." We see the Lord guiding Philip and telling him where where to go. The Spirit is directing Philip's path and commissioning him for a very important task What is that task Where where is he commissioned to Well he's told to go toward the south to a road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza And what this road is most likely is the last watering place before this really long desert desert road that leads from Jerusalem to Gaza And what's what I th- thought was particularly interesting is the word south, like we see that and we probably think south, like down the opposite of north. But the word south could also mean and if you have an ESV, it isn't a footnote. The word south, the word used there, could also mean or about noontime. So I know it makes so much sense. Um, So it it, it could mean, Philip, I need you to go south to the desert road. Or it could mean, Philip, I need you to go down to this desert road, desert, at about noon. That stinks. (laughs) I mean, yes, God has a sense of humor, I think. Um, And obviously, he's going from Samaria down back to Jerusalem. So he's going south no matter what. So it could be translated south, could be translated noon. Uh, The important thing to see is that Philip is commanded to go, uh, and, and he goes. His path is being directed. God is giving Philip a very specific mission. Before this, as I just kind of recapped, Philip's up in Samaria. He has this really fruitful ministry um, where he's preaching the gospel. People are coming to faith, and then, you know, God just kind of comes, you know, knocking on his door. Philip, yeah? We need you to go down to the desert around noon gonna have you meet someone there like think like think about that most of us i think at least i would be like i i don't really want to go do that i'm having a good i'm having a good ministry here why why am i going down but instead philip is just like yeah he goes it says he rose and he went probably no questions asked i mean the lord tells you to do something you just kind of do it um but that, that's a hard transition to make, I would think. But he does it. And the reason Philip is commissioned, pick it up back in verse 27. He rose and he went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship. Stop there again. Why did Philip need to be at this place at this specific time? because there was an Ethiopian eunuch coming through who's on his way back home from going to Jerusalem to worship. Now some of you may be asking, what exactly is a eunuch? And some of you may be thinking, is he really going to explain what a eunuch is? (laughs) I think I have to, in so few words. Um, A eunuch is basically... um, a emasculated official. They the These officials typically were in charge of, of harems and different things, so they had to be made sure that they would be loyal and trustworthy. So I'll leave it there. Fill in the blanks. That's what a eunuch is. So this isn't a job you just go ahead and take to for a little while to pay the bills. Like, you're all in. <laughs> and that's... That's what this eunuch is. Um, So, that's just to, what's that? That's the biggest, yeah, yeah. Moving on. As a man, I don't want to talk about that much more. But being a eunuch, being a eunuch, there were certain cultural things um, that were in place too, especially within the Jewish culture. Now, we see he came up to Jerusalem to worship. And what that would mean for this eunuch is that he probably wouldn't be able to worship as the typical Jewish, like the, the natural, born in the national Jewish heritage would worship. In Deuteronomy 23, there was, there was a law set forth that eunuchs were not to join the assembly of the Lord. And so within like the, the Jewish worship people like Gentiles and eunuchs, they had to worship separately in this court of the Gentiles, uh, most likely. Or there are people who say, well, the eunuch could have worshipped with the Jewish people because in Isaiah 56, it shows that the Lord is going to welcome the eunuchs. I don't know. He went up to Jerusalem to worship. And that's what's most important. This guy makes a near 200-mile trek up to Jerusalem to worship God. God. That's the big thing. Where he stood when he did it, you know, whether he's back all the way in the library or whether he's standing up here, he's worshiping God. That's the important thing. He cared enough to make all that travel to worship God. And it says in verse 28, as he was returning, seated in his chariot, he was reading the prophet Isaiah. He was reading it. Back then, Stuff you had to read that were scrolls were all handwritten and pretty pricey. So this guy, this, this eunuch, cared enough to travel miles to worship God. And was also wealthy enough and decided to use his wealth for the purpose of buying a scroll of Isaiah. And so he's reading it aloud, as is the custom of the time, people read out loud. And this is where we see that next divine command to Philip. And the Holy Spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. There, there's, no, there's absolutely no question that Philip was placed in this, in this place at this time for a specific reason. God, in his sovereignty, was appointing Philip this opportunity. And would he be prepared to seize it? Yeah. Pick it up, verse 30 the conversation with the eunuch. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said that being the eunuch, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit down with him. So the spirit leads him to this place to begin with and then the spirit tells him to go and run up to this chariot. Like, it's not just like a eunuch traveling by himself. This is an official of, of the queen. He's probably traveling with a caravan of people, or at least a couple people within the chariot he's in. Um, not that they were, like, super spacious. It is a chariot, but. And then, so he's traveling down the road, and then he, like, see this guy Philip probably, like, just running up to it in, like, his sandals or whatever, gets up to it, and, you know, just randomly by him, probably out of breath, you understand what you're reading? Like, how weird would that situation be? And you don't see, the, like, the eunuch go, like, some of us would be like, well, what's this guy doing? I would just maybe shove it off and go, yeah, I get it, even if I have no idea. Like, this guy just ran up to me. And then you see the eunuch, like, he engages him, like, this is normal, and he's like, how can I understand unless someone guides me? Stranger who ran up, please join me in my chariot. Um, <laughs> it's, you, it's so divinely orchestrated. It's crazy, but it's awesome. The boldness of Philip to just like, the, the spirit says go, and Philip's like, here I go. But the importance of the eunuch saying, how am I going to understand unless someone guides me? Now over in Rensselaer where I live, there's a sign, and last night I discovered a second one identical to it. There is a sign that says this, Nope, it says. Now, what are you doing? There's are supposed to be words. <laughs> There's something about this PowerPoint program that hates me. Okay, there are words up there. And what those words say is, the sign says, Happy New Year, read the New Testament, enjoy your new life, and it's signed Jesus. I'm just going to give it one more. Yeah, it's It's done. Okay. So that sign says, Happy New Year, read the New Testament, enjoy your new life, signed Jesus. Um, First of all, I I think I would have noticed that in the Bible if Jesus had said it. So Jesus didn't say that. And secondly, um, we've seen this statistic over and over and over and over again. We live in a region where we're number two in least Bible-mindedness. That's not the good second place. That's a bad second place. We're first place in being a post-Christian area. Like number one in the whole United States. So putting up a sign that simply says, Happy New Year, just go read the New Testament. Read the New Testament and then enjoy your new life. Love Jesus. Like, that's not going to work. It, it doesn't make sense. It's, it's lazy evangelism. Just putting up a sign that says, go, read the New Testament. Read the New Testament. Have we picked up jo- the book of John and read chapter 1 in the first 14 verses? It's a tongue twister with the word, word, used over and over again. It's not easy to understand. And yeah, I, I believe this, the Holy Spirit can work in people and can reveal stuff through the word of God. I do believe that. But I, I, I think we need to be realistic too and know we can't just... We gotta have conversations with people. We need to help people understand. We can't just say, "Here's a book, read it." God is good. (laughs) T-shirt, can, and a Bible out of people. Read this. It's not. It's. It's not what we see happening. That's not discipleship. It's just like, I put up a sign. See, the disciples roll in. I don't think so. I think there's, there's some serious truth to how can I understand unless someone comes and helps me. When, when I prepare for a sermon, when any of the pastor elders here prepare for a sermon, we don't just open up our Bibles, read through it one time, and go, boom, I got four points and a takeaway. We consult commentaries and other scholars and other people who have spent time studying the Scripture so we can get an understanding of what's going on. There's some study. That it's not just so easy that we're going to get it right away. I'm not saying we can't. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying the Spirit can't work and He does nothing. But there's a, there's a responsibility on for Christians. Warren Worsby describes the scene like this. He says, This Ethiopian represents many people today who are religious, Read the scriptures and seek truth, yet do not have a saving faith in Jesus Christ. They are sincere, but they are lost. They need someone to show them the way. Are we prepared to help people understand? It's a challenging quote. Are we prepared to help people understand? Philip was prepared. He just went for it you understand what you're reading? No. All right. Well, there we go. Into your chariot. Let's sit down and have a Bible study. Let's look at their conversation. So Philip is invited into this chariot. Let me go back one. And the eunuch is reading this passage from Isaiah, which says, Like a sheep he was led to slaughter, like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him who can describe his generation for his life is taken away from the earth. Man, what a perfect passage to like have open as Philip runs up and says, "Do you get it?" What a perfect passage. This this prophecy of the suffering servant pointing directly to Jesus Christ. The next part of this passage, we just sang it, by his wounds we are healed. There's all this pointing to Jesus. And this guy's rolling down the road reading it. And Philip comes across him. What a conversation starting point. To where he can say, Jesus, he's the one who came to earth. He lived the perfect life, right? Sinless. But like a lamb led off to slaughter, he was put to the cross. The nails through his hands, the whipping before that, the spear in his side. Bearing the wrath of God as our propitiation. Why? For me, for you, for the world. So that our relationship with the Father could be restored. So that our debt of sin could be paid in full. We don't see, you know, we don't see their full conversation. But... What a starting point to be in that passage in Isaiah. You know, he asked about whom, I asked, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? And then Philip opened his mouth. Beginning with the scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. Look how Philip goes to, to answer his question. He doesn't, he doesn't, like, brush off the question and then bust out, like, a track with other passages or something. He starts right with the passage at hand. He begins with the text. He he takes the eunuch and he approaches him where he's at. Starts with Isaiah and takes that and teaches him the good news about Jesus Christ. Philip couldn't talk to this guy like he would uh, one of the Jewish people back in Jerusalem. This was an Ethiopian, a Gentile, from a completely different context in life. So I, I imagine, and it doesn't say it, but I, I don't think this is very far off, it, it, Philip would have had, had to deliver this message in such a way that this guy would get it, and he would understand it. Uh, though he, the eunuch was going up on his way to Jerusalem to worship, I, I, he, he's coming from a completely different context. Life Application Bible Commentary says this. It is important to note that Philip began where the man was. Only then did he directly and clearly take him where he needed to go. This means he listened, thought, and adapted the message to his audience, and then explained the good news. Understanding who we're talking to is just is vitally important to the message getting across to people if if i if i'm talking to someone or or if someone was talking to me years ago in this christian lingo and christian jargon that this christianese that sometimes we get and we understand but some people like go what i don't i don't get what that means you know if we're talking in this lingo that We understand in the church, but we're talking to people who've never been to church, who've never read a Bible. Some of that's just going to go over their heads. We need to meet people where they're at and understand the context that they come from in order to to deliver a message in a way that they're going to get it. I'm not going to talk to teenagers the same people I would talk to people who who are senior citizens in a home. It's just completely different thinking. I'm not going to talk to a room full of adults like I would necessarily a room of teenagers. There's a different context. The message needs to be not changed. The gospel doesn't change. Right? We don't change the fact that we're, we're sinners in need of a Savior. But how we deliver that, that changes. And I think it needed to change for Philip. He knew the scriptures. He understood how they pointed to Jesus. He didn't have like this deer in the headlights look when the eunuch actually said why don't you help me understand he didn't like all of a sudden just stop running and like look like i can't help him he knew he knew the scriptures he was prepared to seize the opportunity at hand he sat down with him he walked him through he taught him about jesus do do are we prepared are we prepared are we prepared for this this encounter with a random person where we might be put on the spot. And, you know, Philip wasn't walking around with, like, his Bible app. Like, he didn't pull up Isaiah 56 and go, well, let's check this out in the NIV. Let's see how that does it. And yeah, we'll look at the ESV. And if we're really feeling crazy, we'll look at the message. <laughs> like, he didn't, he didn't say that. He knew. He knew the Scriptures. He wasn't walking around with all the scrolls possible with him like just pulling them out like arrows and like reading it. Well, if you see here, no, he knew it. Scrolls were expensive. Not everybody had them. They had to internalize the Word of God. Memorizing Scripture, something I'm not good at, and technology has probably made me even worse at. But we need to, sh- to try the best we can to, to remember these truths that are crucial not only for the the cause of, of witnessing to others, but for our own lives. Reminding ourselves of these truths found in the Bible. Philip was prepared. He knew the word. He knew that whatever was going on with this guy in the chariot, he could bring him to the place he needed to get to to hear about Jesus. Do we know the word? Are we in the word? If we want to be prepared, we need to be. So after Philip shares the good news of Jesus, we see that the eunuch responds. The conversion of the eunuch. I don't necessarily like the word conversion, but it started with a C. Like, we're not out to make converts. We're out to make disciples. Um... We're not just trying to get someone to pray a prayer and then go, oh, see ya. That's not the thing. We're out to make disciples. But, disciples starts with the D. I need a C. So, the conversion of the eunuch. Um, so it says, as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from getting baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water Philip and the eunuch and he baptized him and before i go any further how many of you guys notice something a little funky about this section okay well if if you look if you have an ESV or an NIV or an NLT you'll see verse 36 words and then verse 38 where's 37 Ah, I will tell you um, for for those of you who have a bible where thirty seven 's gone uh, it 's not gone it 's just on the bottom of your page in a footnote for some of you who have probably like an n a s b thirty seven 's there but there 's usually probably some brackets around it or a mark pointing to a footnote and it 's a little weird but the, the reason for this is because verse thirty seven uh, is, is a later addition. Uh, it, it wasn't in the early manuscripts. They couldn't find it in the early manuscripts. So it appears to be something that was added later by a scribe. So in verse 36, when the eunuch asks, what prevents me from getting baptized? Verse 37 is that response from Philip, and he says, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And the eunuch replied, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So apparently, sometime down the line, uh, a, a scribe, I don't know when, was reading this, and he thought, there's got to be some response there. There's got to there's be something. And so he, he added it, and then people later on said, wait a minute, this isn't in any of the early manuscripts. We'll just put it at the bottom. There's nothing unbiblical With the response right where we need to believe um that jesus christ is the son of god that is what it means to put our faith in him to make him lord of our life that's necessary um but the fact is it wasn't in the early manuscripts We can't just like leave it alone and like be like yeah that was there it's all good just read 37 like no you got to make a note of it so that's why it's gone um it's certainly nothing to like be like, that's heretical. No, it's good. It's necessary. It's, it's something that even today, you know, when you see a baptism, there's the question, you know, ha- have you put your faith in Jesus Christ as a son of God? Like, that is, that is a normal thing. And uh, so that explains 37. I'm not going to hang on that too much longer. So we don't know exactly what Philip said to the eunuch, Um, But what we do know is that the eunuch is told the good news of Jesus and he responds to it and he wants to be baptized. So I'm going to go ahead and assume that in this conversation, Philip told him about Jesus and then Philip told him that, okay, as a result of putting your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ, there is now this obedience to be baptized. Um, I don't think the eunuch just all of a sudden knew like, oh, Isaiah 56 Jesus Christ, water. No, I think Philip probably told him that baptism is—it's that next step in obedience. So this guy's fired up. He's getting ready to be baptized, and so we see the eunuch like stop the chariot right then and there, and him and Philip they go down to the water, and the eunuch is baptized. And the Greek word that we see for baptized is that one we see all over the New Testament: baptizo. Which means a literal submersion into water and up out of the water. That consistent New Testament example of what baptism is. So I'm going to go ahead and say just to to maintain that consistency, this eunuch was baptized by going in the water and coming up out of the water the same way we do it when we do it here. Um, We believe that's the example given. And uh, that's what baptism, the word baptizo literally means. Um, so I don't, you know, we've, we've heard it. I don't want to hang on that too long. But I do want to make sure I don't leave that just out there. Um, and again, the really big, the really important thing is is that, that the eunuch hears the good news and he responds joyfully and emphatically. When the gospel is proclaimed, There's got to be a response. There is going to be, regardless. Sometimes that response is rejection. Sometimes the Word of God is preached, the gospel is given, and people are like, no. No, I don't want that. I don't want anything to do with that. Sometimes that's the response. And then sometimes the response is just complete and utter acceptance and surrender of who Jesus is. Where are you at this morning? I know there's a lot of people who live on the fence. You'll ask them, well, what do you believe? I don't know. A part of me believes in Christ. A part of me wants nothing to do with him. And there's just just being on the fence. Where are you at this morning? If if you're here this morning and and you're on the fence, what's, what's keeping you from surrendering to Jesus? We can't stay on that fence forever. There's, there's going to come a time when we're going to fall one way or the other way. And I, I, I pray that, that the Holy Spirit this morning would, would work in the hearts of, of those here, um, those of you here this morning who just aren't sure. And just as this eunuch asked, what prevents me from getting baptized? I'm going to ask you, what, what is keeping you from just surrendering your sin, your life to Jesus Christ. What keeps you from giving everything to Him? What does this mean for the for the Christian spreading the gospel? Don't fret over the responses. Keep preaching the gospel. Keep having conversations about God, about Jesus Christ. Because it's God who sovereignly appoints the, the opportunities for the gospel to go out, right? And he's also the one who, sov- in his sovereignty, calls people to himself. So a, as Christians, we, we cannot go... It doesn't mean it's going to hurt when people reject it. I'm not saying, like, just brush it off like, oh, whatever. It sucks. Stinks. Uh, but we need to just be faithful to the command to preach the gospel, make disciples. That's the task at hand. That's the mission. God, in his sovereignty, delivers us the opportunities. We need to be prepared to seize them. And if we're faithful and consistent in doing that, God will take care of the rest. God will take care of the rest. It's not on us. You know, it's not my job this morning to make you respond to the message. I'm just the mailman. God's going to do the work. In everyone's heart, in my heart. Let's move on to the last and final point: the continued mission. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. So eunuch and the Philip, the eunuch and Philip, um, part ways, in probably one of the most eventful ways you could think of. As soon as they come up out of the water, it says Philip is carried away by the Spirit. What? (laughs) Say that again? Yeah, he he like takes this ride on the Holy Spirit transit line and he is basically, it says he finds himself at Azotus, right? Crazy. And some, there's, again, there's, there's debate within commentaries and among scholars. Well, was this a literal carrying away? Or was it more like the spirit, just as he did now, guiding Philip to this place? And so, once again, I found myself going what, what's the word used? Like, what is said in the original text? And the, the word used here is harpazo, which by definition, and like, you know how there's definitions then there's one, two, and three? By all of them, by all the definitions for the word, it means to be, in one way or another, seized or carried off by force, by someone or something else. So this isn't a word that means to be guided. It's not a word that means to just be led, we see it show up later in Acts 23. Paul is carried off by troops. There's, there's this outside entity carrying off a person. And in this case, it's the, the person of the Holy Spirit, I believe, literally carrying Philip to this other place. I mean, think about it. We've seen some pretty miraculous stuff happen already. Like, why would transportation be like No, that's too far. We've just took things too far here. People brought back from the dead, but no, we can't. Philip can't be transported. I think the Holy Spirit can. Um, So I don't. I don't think it's that far out of the question. And I think also an important thing to take away from it is it shows the urgency of the mission, the urgency to to have the gospel spread. Yeah, Philip comes down to this desert road. He meets this eunuch. The eunuch responds to the gospel. He's baptized, and it's like, well, Philip, we got more for you to go. Boom! And he finds himself in Azatos. The Spirit brought him to where he needed to be. That's what I believe. If, if you know, you want to like, think like he was just led by the Spirit, like, I, I think that's okay, too. I, I just know from what I studied, what I read, I'm a-okay with him being carried away physically by the Holy Spirit. But let's leave, let's leave Philip for a second and let's go back to this eunuch. Because we just kind of like see the eunuch get baptized and then he like kind of like waves goodbye to Philip and then it's just like he went on his way rejoicing. But what happens with this, what, what's the implications of this Ethiopian eunuch coming to faith in Jesus Christ? What happens to him? Well, the scholar Arrhenius believed that the eunuch would have been the first missionary to Ethiopia. Um, but that might, might have, might not have been true. Scholars are, you know look at the artifacts and stuff from that region, and they don't see anything that reminds them of a church until like the 4th century AD. So, we don't know what exactly happened with this eunuch. But I I believe, wholeheartedly, that that God wouldn't just send Philip from, from, uh, let me, I have a map. Okay, I love maps. So Philip started up in Samaria. He went from Jerusalem to Samaria at the persecution. He has his ministry up in Samaria. Okay, then the Spirit calls him to go back down to this road that leads from Jerusalem to Gaza. Right? So he meets the Ethiopian guy on this road. That's leading down here to Gaza. Like, I don't think the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, would lead someone from up here all the way down here, probably by foot, just to, just to say, you know what, you're gonna, you're gonna make this one convert, and this guy's gonna go home, and he's gonna be so quiet, he's not gonna do a darn thing. I don't think that's the case. This guy was an official to the Queen, he had influence, he had money. He had a certain power in Ethiopia. I I believe that that God brought Philip to this eunuch to see that gospel go southward to Ethiopia. What I mean, what a person to do it, an, an official in the court of the queen? Like, it's it just makes sense to me. All throughout the New Testament, when we see people like come to faith in Jesus, they never just go around, they go back and go. I'm going to keep quiet about this. No, they are, They like even when Jesus tells people not to tell people about him, they go back and they tell people about Jesus. That's what happens. So this Ethiopian who is overjoyed, I don't think he just went back to Ethiopia and did nothing. I think the gospel was proclaimed and people did come to faith. That's my hope. Why would he not? Why would he not? Why all this trouble for one divinely appointed encounter for the, the mission not to spread downward, the beginnings of to the ends of the earth. I believe it was it was very significant conversation, not just coincidence. It was a purpose. And so after, he, after the Ethiopian heads southward, we see Philip led to Azotus. And from that place, we see him leave Azotus and make his way up to Caesarea. That's a, not a, not a short walk. And the whole way up, the whole way up, it says, he, he was preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. So he wasn't just like, I'm going to go walk to Caesarea now. I had fun with the eunuch, but... Up to Caesarea. No, he's each town, mission, mission, mission. i got to preach the gospel here. Preach the gospel there. Make disciples here. Like, that's, that's what he was doing. And I, I think it was a, a joy for Philip. I really do. The first time we met Philip was back in Acts chapter 6. There were, there, were, there were tables that needed to be served. There were people who needed to be cared for, and the apostles just couldn't do it all. They needed to pray. They needed to commit themselves to the word of God. So they appoint uh, these uh, deacons. And Philip is one of them. And uh, we just see in Philip all this obedience. You know, back in chapter 6. Philip, we need you to serve tables. Okay. I'm there. The church scatters. Philip, preach the gospel in Samaria. All right. He does it. Philip, come back down from Samaria. Meet this guy on the desert road. Okay, I'll do it. Obedience, obedience, obedience. Philip understands the gospel. He understands the need for the gospel to go forth. He's just s- submissive to the call of the Spirit, he comp- he's just completely obedient. God, in his sovereignty, appoints opportunities for the gospel to go forth, and Philip seized that opportunity. Now, it's hard not to, but I, I really, I don't want to paint Philip as this spectacular and perfect human being. That wouldn't, that wouldn't be right. Because, because Philip is just a guy, just a man. Just like you and me. When I say man, I mean like a human. Um, I'm not saying we're all men. That would be weird. Um. But he was a man, just like, just like you, just like me, a, a human being um, being used by God. At one point in Philip's life, he was running straight for hell in rebellion to God, just like every single human being who's walked the face of this earth. And Philip, he needed to have that encounter with Christ Jesus, that, that gospel encounter when at some point he realized, this is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And I'm going to live for Him. He had to come to that point in his life, just like every one of the apostles. Just like, just like everybody else. He wasn't just born with this innate knowledge that Jesus is, is the Son of God, and I'm going to just live my life and serve Him. No, He's just like all of us. He, he has sin too. We don't see it, but we know he has it because he is human. So I don't want to paint him as, as the hero of this passage, but rather it, it, it is Jesus. Because Jesus, it's because of Jesus that Philip is living in this way, that Philip is setting this example for us. It's because of Jesus that we see Philip doing anything really at all. I mean, without Christ, why is Philip walking around preaching the gospel? Like, It's because of Jesus It's because of Jesus that when tables needed to be served, he humbled himself just as Jesus Christ humbled himself and went to the cross. He humbled himself and he says, yeah, I'll serve tables. It's because of the gospel and the effect that the gospel had on his life. It's always about Jesus and not about what we do, but about what he's done in us. There's nothing Philip did, though he sets a good example for us. We see that Philip's joy is to serve Christ. I'll we'll ask it again. Where where are you at this morning? Uh, is your faith and your trust in in Jesus is it there? Are are you rejoicing and joyfully serving because you know the what Christ has done in your life and that He has conquered sin and death? Are we are we? on mission with Him, or are we running from Him? Where are you at this morning? I'm going to ask the band to come up, and I'm just going to, I want to close by reading the first verse of the song we're about to sing. Uh, The song is called Jesus I Come. It was written by William Sleeper. And it's such a reminder of what Jesus has done and continues to do in my life, and in the lives of so many people. It says, out of my bondage, sorrow, and night, Jesus, I come, Jesus, I come. Into thy freedom, gladness, and light, Jesus, I come to thee. Out of my sickness and into thy health, out of my wanting and into thy wealth, out of my sin and into thyself, Jesus, I come to thee. Let's pray. Father... I pray that we would not forget how you've used the things you've, you've, you've used in our life to bring us to you. Lord, that we would not forget where we were before we realized who your son was. That we would rejoice that we can have new life in you. And that as a result, of that that we would want to express that to others that we would be ready to seize the opportunities that you give us and Lord for anyone who's here who doesn't know who Jesus Christ is I pray that you would do a work in their heart they would come to know Jesus Christ is the son of God who paid the price of their sin may we never take that for granted or forget about it. I just pray that we would seek to glorify you joyfully because of it. In Jesus' name, I pray, amen.